this week I went to the staff and said, okay, here's the text. I'm going to be talking about life, the vanity of life. We're going to talk about the futility of life and actually just kind of hating life uh, apart from God under the sun, but also finding joy in life with Jesus. So I asked the staff, I said, hey, I'll buy lunch uh, for anyone who comes up with a song, and that was the winner. Uh, We might be doing that. I don't have to sing every week, but if you didn't get a chance to hear the lyrics because you were so stunned with the talent, um, um, let me, let me tell you uh, what it says. It's a Mumford & Sons song. I love Mumford & Sons. Uh, they're incredible. It says this. Because you told me that I would find a hole within the fragile substance of my soul. And I have filled this, thing, this void with things unreal. And all the while, my character, it steals. Darkness is a harsh term, don't you think? And yet it dominates the things I see. It seems that all my bridges have been burnt, but you say that it's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. Not bad words. And really, when you're thinking of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, much of what he says really is summed up in some of that. Because the book of Ecclesiastes says that there is a hole in our heart. That there is a void in our heart. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes will tell us in 3.10 that, that God has put in our heart eternity. Think about that. God has put eternity in your heart and my heart. So what fills that void? What fills that? The entire book of Ecclesiastes is the one who calls himself the preacher or the teacher. Uh, we are led to believe that this is Solomon or, or someone with the mantle of Solomon. It, he's telling us the words uh, of Solomon that he calls himself preacher or teacher. And it's his attempt, the entire book of Ecclesiastes is his attempt to fill the hole within the fragile substance of his soul, whatever the world could offer only to come up empty. And again, it's interesting. This is Solomon. He tried wisdom. The Bible will tell us about Solomon that he was the wisest of all. And not just with Bible things, but with all of the world. He he was so smart. And so he gave himself to wisdom. And yet he realized that he couldn't fix what was broken. Through worldly wisdom, that which was crooked, he just couldn't make straight. And not only that, he, he couldn't add up life. He couldn't add up the equation for life. It just didn't make sense. So he tried pleasure. And by the way, not only was he the smartest according to the Bible, but also says he was the richest. I mean, he tried pleasure. He, he gave himself to live in the dream, right? I mean, living the American dream. And he had all the resources to live the dream. And so all the things that we kind of dream about that would give us meaning in life and happiness, uh, things like wine, women, song, I mean, money, he had gobs of all of them. I mean, gobs of them. He tried wisdom and living the dream. And yet again, he came up empty, only to find it didn't fulfill him. As a matter of fact, his conclusion, he'll start the book by saying this, is that everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. Everything is basically like a vapor under the sun. It's very important for us to get this. He's saying under the sun, 
which he's really saying this, life here on earth, apart from a relationship with God, all that the earth has to offer, apart from knowing and loving God, nothing. Worthless. Meaningless. He uses phrases like this. He says, there is nothing gained. Or this is a phrase that really will tell us there's no take-home pay. If you're trying to find what you're looking for with what the world has to offer, there's nothing to take home. There's no take-home pay. It'll always come out zero. He tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing remembered under the sun. And to try to fill the hole within our hearts is like, he says, striving after the wind. I mean, the longings that we have for beauty, the longings we have for fulfillment, the longings we have for life, if we try to find it, no matter what we go and do, apart from God, it's like herding cats. It's like grasping the wind. We just come up empty. But the preacher in this text is going to turn the corner. What it, what it sounds like it's about is dark, and it's dark. I mean, he, he's talking about hating life. You're going to see that. He's talking about giving his heart to despair. And oh, by the way, if you try to find life in something and you pursue hard after something and you come up empty, despair is going to be right there with you. And right when you seem to hit rock bottom, there's a light that shines. And there's a light that shines that's going to be ultimately the light of Christ. And he's going to remind us that, yes, life is absolutely meaningless underneath the sun. But he's going to tell us life with God, the Son, everything has meaning. Remember, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like the exception to the rules. If the book of Proverbs, they're both wisdom literature, is kind of like more the rules, this is more the exception of the rules. And the book of Ecclesiastes kind of has us meander through life asking all these deep questions, coming up empty every time, but it gets to the end of the matter. At the very end, the last chapter, he says, this is what it's all about. Life is all about fearing God, knowing him and loving him and walking with him. Life is about keeping his commandments that he's told us. Interesting, the, the book of Proverbs starts that way. The book of Ecclesiastes ends that way. Another wisdom literature is Job. In the middle of it, he tells us that. You see, life has no meaning apart from God because you were made by him. Life has no meaning here apart from him. But in him we can have meaning in life. We're going to see two points today as we read through God's word. Listen for them. The first one is is this. Hating, hating the futility of life under the sun. We'll see that's what Solomon, the preacher, had. And the second link is this. Delighting in the gift of life from the sun. Let's Let's open up God's word. We're going to read Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 26. Picking up just where we left off last week. But let's be mindful that that these are God's word. We're not exactly sure who wrote it. Was it Solomon or not? And we know that it was written a long time ago. And we also know that it was written in a certain genre. It was written what they say, what they call wisdom literature. This is more like an art gallery of the Bible. Some some books are going to be more like lectures. This is is telling us God's truth in a different way. But because of these words are God's words. God has inspired the writer to write these words. So so these are living words. These are active words. The point is this. These are words not just to entertain you. These are words to transform you. And whoever you are and wherever you've been, God, God wants to speak to you. Listen, to you right now through his word. 
Because as I read this word, I guarantee you there's going to be many of you who want to raise your hand and say, I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced that. There's going to be some of you who will be be honest with yourselves and maybe you can't even be honest with anybody else that will sit there and say, I feel that now. But for all of us, because this is God's word, let him come and, and speak life to us again through his word. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 12 through 26. The preacher writes, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. It's meaningless. It's vapor. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous for me, to me. For all is vanity and is striving after the wind. It's hurting cats. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Let's hit pause. If this is Solomon, and it's led to leading us to believe it is, then it His son is Rehoboam, and he was a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about, and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. How many of you have had sleepless nights after long days of toil? And so, oh, this is vanity. Watch the corner be turned. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toils. This also I saw is from the hand of God. From apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and is striving after the wind. Let us pray. And Father God, again, I just thank you for the brutal honesty of your word. Thank you for being a big enough God and a tender enough God that you allow your people to ask some really hard, deep questions. And God, we look at life under the sun and it doesn't make any sense.
And so many of us right now have vexation from all the toil of our work. And so many of us have, have just seen the vanity and the meaninglessness of all things. And yet this, this passage is going to tell us that there's nothing better than simple things like eating and, and drinking and enjoying our toil. And, and what a juxtaposition from hating life and giving our heart to despair and, and finding joy in simple, easy things. So God, would you, would you come with your wisdom? Would you come with your teaching? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me with your truth? so that we could see the difference of that which has no meaning and that which brings great joy. God, give us the ears to to hear the voice of the preacher, the, the teacher, the ultimate one named Jesus, the one whose wisdom is greater than even Solomon. God, we ask that you come because you love us and you be with your people in a way that you would give us minds to understand your word. It's confusing a bit. It's this, it's this wisdom, uh, literature, and genre. It's this... How does this make sense today in my life? God, would you come by your spirit and and shine the light of Christ in our minds so that we can understand. And God, I pray for every heart that is here, every heart that contains eternity, every heart that is still struggling with darkness and sin, every heart, God, here, would you come and would you lovingly shape it and fill it with the good news of the gospel? And God, in the parts of our hearts that are that are dark because of unbelief, shine your light. The parts of our hearts that are hard because of sin, come and break them for your glory. And God, may they beat for you. God, would you be with your people in such a lovingly clear way that we can walk out of here with joy, that we can walk out of here with with the simplest things of eating and drinking and finding the joy of the Lord in those things. Because life is hard and meaningless without you. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. Would those things fall away and be forgotten? But the things that are said that are true and that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me there. Again, we only have two points. But did you hear what the preacher said, what the teacher said? Did you hear how he described life? I mean, he he basically said this. I mean, life stinks. He said it. I mean, he probably used stronger language, but I'm trying to clean it up. He's saying, life stinks, and I hate life under the sun. Says it three times in verse 17, verse 20, verse 28. And yet the preacher will also say this incredible contrast that there's nothing better than to eat and drink and enjoy your toil under the sun. What a contrast. I mean, you might want to say, well, what is it? What is it? Am I supposed to hate life and give my heart to despair? Or am I supposed to enjoy life? And the answer is yes. Yes. As Dickens might say, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And that's where we find ourselves as well. The first thing that God has given us in his word is a challenge, a permission of hating the futility of life under the sun. It's interesting, through his examination, the preacher has come to some conclusions. He'll say, you know what? Wisdom is better than folly. It really is better. It's it's good for you to live a a life that's wise. It's good for you to, to do the things you're supposed to do, eat right, 
you know, make sure you have a, a good amount of sleep, uh, live a wise life, pay your taxes, be wise. Wisdom's better than a fool. He also says, you know, light is better than darkness. It's better to live in the light than it is in the dark. Nothing grows healthy in the dark, right? So he looks at life, he says, well, wisdom is better than, than folly. And he says, light is better than darkness. But, but the same thing seems to happen to the wise and the fool, right? I mean, you live a life and, and you have the same accidents in life. I mean, the same things kind of happen if you're wise or you're not. You, you try to do the right thing, but still life has a way to come and get you, doesn't it? He says, even the wise and the fool, there nothing seems to be remembered. I mean, those who went before us, uh, the, the, their wisdom seems long gone, forgotten, put in some books not to be really followed. So if you're wise or you're a fool, you won't necessarily be remembered. But then he comes to the ultimate that's really hard, that both the wise and the fool, well, they, they die. Spring break week, many of us parents who have college students rejoice in these weeks when our kids come home. Uh, yesterday, we had the privilege of welcoming our home, a, a, a young lady from Calvin College uh, who was down here with a, on her break playing tennis. And she uh, is engaged to one of the young men uh, who came from Covenant College and staying at our house. And she's studying nutrition. And I thought, oh, well, let's, so we strike up a conversation about nutrition. Now, what is healthy for you? And we're talking about how things have changed in the world of nutrition, are they not? Did you know that eggs are back? Eggs are back. Eggs aren't bad for you. You know, I mean, every guy with high cholesterol is going this right now. This is awesome. And so, I mean, all the eggs, I eat, they're back. But you realize that things like nutrition, can we talk? Kind of drive me a little crazy. Now, listen, be smart with what you eat, says the preacher, who's 300 pounds. Be, <laughs> be smart. And you should exercise. It's really important. But it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to have issues. You know, it doesn't guarantee that there's not going to be a result that comes back that says, you got cancer. Be smart. There's things that are healthy. There's things that you should eat. There's things that you should do. Be smart. Cover up when you're at the beach. Be smart. Don't be a fool because wisdom is better than being a fool. But you have to know the guy who writes the best-selling book on jogging has a heart attack and dies. It doesn't seem to make sense. I'll make it even more personal. In 2009, Katie gets cancer out of nowhere. No history, no disposition, no way that she should have gotten it. Healthy. Why? Don't know. But it's changed and altered the way that she eats. It changes the way. I mean, she could always tell you what I had in my body. And it's smart. Be wise. But it's no guarantee. Have you been there? Do you know that? I mean, that's, that's what he's saying. And so, because this one who was so wise and he tried to do things so right, and yet it seemed to be no difference, he gave his heart to despair. Life just didn't seem to work. It doesn't make sense. You know that we live in a terribly broken world, right? Right? I mean, you haven't been living under a rock for that long. You, you've known, right? You know that we live in a terribly broken world in misery and despair. 
Well, as, as JP and his friends came back from Covenant College, uh, we were able to go over the beach for a few days, and I was able to join them on Monday, my day off. And man, is there not something about walking the beach? I mean, is that not like a complete life changer? I mean, I'm telling you right now, if you're not feeling good after this service, go over the beach and just put your feet in the water. I mean, something, something happens. And to be able to be there with my son and his friends and to be able to enjoy the sun and the light, it was awesome. And driving home, I was driving home on 44, coming back from New Smyrna Beach, and I'm behind this really huge, big red pickup truck. And in the back window, there was that message that we've seen many times that just haunts us. It said, in loving memory of my son. And it gave the dates of his son's life. And and I realized, man, just a few months younger than my son. My son that I just walked the beach with. My son that I just had this life with and joy with. Here this man has a constant reminder of the brokenness of a cursed world. I wanted to crawl in the cab of his truck and just weep with him. And say, I'm so sorry for your brokenness. Because we live in a broken world. And we know it. We buried our kids. We buried our grandkids. We've had our spouses have cancer. We know it. We've lost jobs needlessly. We've done the right thing and the wrong things have happened. We know it. We know it. We've been persecuted for doing right. We know it. We've eaten right and we still get the cancer. We've we've exercised. We still have the heart attack. We still have the stroke. We still have a broken world around us. You see... We just can't find the beauty that we are longing for in this world. And whatever it offers to us, it's just never enough. We just cannot fill the hole with our souls. We always come up empty. Scripture says it this way. You could gain the whole world. You could own it all. And yet, if you lose your very soul, it doesn't matter. Gaining the whole world is not going to make you ultimately happy. It's not going to bring you the joy you long for. And yet the paradox of that is this. If you have Christ Jesus and nothing else, you have everything. It's incredible. You see, under the sun, life without God, under the sun, we do not have the power. We don't have the ability to find lasting joy. We don't have it. Whatever comes in gives us momentary pleasure and flows right out. We have a hole in our bucket. We have a hole in our soul. It's just we can't grasp it. We can't hold on to it. We can't keep it. If we have it today, we're fearful we'll be gone tomorrow. If we have it today, we get bored with it. It doesn't seem to be enough, and we long for something more. That's how messed up we are. And that's the broken world around us. You know what we realize through this book? It's incredible. Joy doesn't come by our toiling for it. Did you hear that? Joy doesn't come for our striving for it. Joy doesn't come from us working hard and even doing the right things. You ready for this? Joy is a gift from God. It's a gift. It comes by grace. It comes by mercy. It doesn't come by hard work. It comes by a father who just can't stop loving you and wants to lavish love upon you, upon love upon you, love upon you. It's incredible. It's a gift. there's There's this real sense in all of us that we should hate the brokenness of the world. Listen, there's a sense in all of us that we should hate it. We should look around our world and it should grieve our hearts. 
We should hate the fact that life is so futile under the sun. We should hate the fact that death is so costly without the sun. We should hate the curse. I mean, the Bible tells us why it's so messed up. It tells us why we're in this predicament. We rebelled against God. And because of our rebellion and sin, everything is cursed. Everything. There's nothing that you don't see. There's nothing that you don't taste. There's nothing that you don't touch. There's nothing that you don't experience that isn't deeply affected by the curse and that something in this world has gone tragically wrong. And you know it. You know it. We're like, we're like children who have come with our favorite toy that's just in pieces to our father and says, I just can't fix this. We're like, we're like kids who come to our parents with a puzzle that has missing pieces and say, I just can't solve this. I mean, and we should hate the curse. We should hate the fact that our, our grandkids are struggling with diseases that are not curable. It should break our hearts of a world that's so fallen. The fact that they're orphan kids. The fact that they're kids who aren't safe in their own homes. The fact that there's sexual abuse. The fact that our world is so screwed up. The fact that there are those who claim the name of Jesus and they get their heads cut off. We should hate it. Because it's part of the curse. It's part of a fall. It's a part of the story that's gone really, really wrong. One of my favorite difficult books was called The Lament for a Son. It was written by Nicholas Waterstoff. I don't Walterstoff. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right. But he had a 25-year-old son who, who died tragically in, in Europe, European mountains um, climbing. And he's a Christian, and he, he wrote this. Don't read it unless you're really ready for some honesty. Don't read it unless you really want to get into something that's really tragic and really honest. But he wrote this lament for his son, and he said, every lament is a love song. Every lament is a love song. I mean, everything that, that cries out in us that something's broken, everything else that longs for something more, is a love song. It's a love song longing for God to give us a beauty we don't have and to fill a hole that we can't fill. And secondly, it's delighting in the gift of life from the Son. Interestingly, we're in chapter two. It's really the first time that God enters the story. I mean, he's just briefly mentioned in chapter one as one who gives us a job to do But in here, we start seeing him, and he appears. And listen, as God appears, guess what else appears? Joy. Joy appears in the midst of it. And he says something that's kind of puzzling, that there's nothing better. The preacher will use this throughout the book. He'll say, there's nothing better. And you want to listen up. What is there nothing better than? What's nothing better than? And you might be surprised of how pedestrian his answer is. There's nothing better than to find enjoyment and eating, and drinking, and enjoying your toil. What? My son Caleb um, is at Rollins, and he got his first varsity start as a pitcher on Tuesday. And I got news, and he's been been in the bullpen, and you don't know if he's going to get in or not, and you're always on pins and needles, and you're always hoping, and they always put him in in a hard situation as a reliever. We finally got to start. 
And, you know, I don't know where you are as a parent, but when my kid is, has an opportunity to be on stage, my first response is panic. <laughs> I mean, I'm just starting thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm so nervous. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, my stomach was doing knots and tr- flipping around, and I was so nervous for him to play baseball, <laughs> to throw a baseball. And, you know, and God's grace and gift to me is I realized, hello, perspective here, get on your knees, and I did, and say a prayer saying, God, thank you that you have given me a son who is healthy enough to throw a baseball in college. It's a gift. And why in the world am I taking a gift from God and making it something I'm so nervous about? It's interesting. I've had the privilege of coaching through Maitland Little League years, my kids growing up. And if that's where you are now, to see the fact, I want to take every one of those parents and say, you're acting like crazy people. (laughs) You're screaming at your kid because he missed a ball. You got a kid who's healthy. You have a kid who runs on the field. You have a kid who has got a gift of life. Are you kidding me? But how much do we fall in those traps? You see, life is a gift. It's a gift to be enjoyed. When we understand that life is a gift from God's hand, we can enjoy the gift of life. That he has given to us that we didn't have to toil from it under the sun. This is the radical difference. Where are you in your life? Do you look at the fact that God has given you a gift? He's given you a gift of life. And he's given you a gift of redemption in Christ Jesus. Is that how you see it? Because if you realize it's not what you run after. It's not your hard work that's going to make you succeed. It's a gift from God. And all of a sudden we see this gift and everything changes. The meal you have at lunch with loved ones around the table today, enjoy the heck out of it. It's a gift. The good glass of wine, knowing that God has given us, even in the midst of the brokenness, life to be enjoyed with him because why he's promised us that he'll make everything beautiful in time. He's promised us that he's going to fill the eternity in our hearts. He's promised us that everything that is broken is going to be undone and made whole. He's promised us everything that just breaks our hearts and we weep over. He's going to dry our eyes. He promises us everything that's been cursed, everything that's been lost, everything that's been broken. He promises, I'm going to fix it. I've started. So I want you to just enjoy right now the simplest things. I want you to have a meal with your loved ones. Enjoy the heck out of it. Because Emmanuel, God is with you. And we have a God who makes all things beautiful in their time. He says this, for the one who pleases God, God has given. And we want to ask the question, who's the one who pleases God? It's not the one who toils. It's not the one who works hard. The one who, ready for this, the one who believes or or pleases God is the one who believes. The one who pleases God is the one who says, I have faith that this world is messed up, but God is doing something about it in Christ Jesus. And I have faith. I have faith. And even though it's dark, and even though I can't make sense of it all, and even though I still hurt and I still weep in the night, 
I have faith in a God who has not left the building. I have faith in a God who is Emmanuel and God who starts a good work in me. He will finish it. He had faith in God. God says the one he is pleased, he gives three things. He gives wisdom. He gives wisdom. It's a different kind of wisdom that we examine in the world. This is, this is a godly wisdom. This is what the book of James says, wisdom from above. Wisdom that God will make everything beautiful in its time. That God gives knowledge. A knowledge that God will eventually fill the eternity in our hearts with Jesus. And he gives joy. Listen, he gives joy even now. That God has provided a savior of the world and his name is Jesus. God has provided one who can fix everything that is crooked. God has provided one who will make the equation of life make sense and solve it. And it's by the grace of God that he's given us the gift of God. It's by the grace of God that he's given us the gift of God in the son of God and everything that we are looking for, we find in him. You see, in Christ Jesus, let me, let me close with this thought. In Christ Jesus, we have, for the first time, the power of God, the ability of God to enjoy life with him as it was intended. Now, it's not fully there yet because we haven't seen him face to face, but we, as redeemed children of God, now have the power, the ability to enjoy even lunch with Jesus. The simplest things, the most beautiful sunsets, to say, God be the glory, great things he has done. I mean, it's just kind of grace of God that in the book of Lamentations that the writer could see in the midst of all the darkness. He could see, but great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Do you see them? Has God given you that gift? You see, God and God alone fills the emptiness in our souls with what is real. And what is real is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And in that gospel, we have the power to enjoy life. And in that gospel, everything that had no meaning now has meaning. How is it with you? Are you striving after the wind? Are you trying to fill that hole in your soul with things that are unreal, just creating a bigger hole? It simply won't work. Delight in the gift of life from the Son. Don't, listen, don't give your heart to despair. Give your heart to faith, faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ, why? Because it is in Jesus that he became a curse for us so the curse of life could be forever broken through the brokenness of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we have one or two options in this crazy world to give our lives to despair and hate life or I guess act like a fool or by God's grace, give us eyes to see, give us wisdom to know, give us knowledge to embrace that that you have given us hope in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of everything that is wrong. There is one who is right and his name is Jesus. And God, I pray for for each and every heart here that we would not choose the way of despair, but we would choose by your grace the way of faith and that life is a gift from you. And that God, now that we realize that what 
what our hearts long for has been found in Jesus. We thank you for the ability to enjoy, to enjoy even the simplest things in life. Because you're a good father and that's how you want your children to live. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. You got that covered. We don't have to get bored with what we got today because you're going to give us more in time. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son that has truly set us free. Now may we walk in a manner worthy of your name, finding joy in everything in the Son. We pray in Christ's name, amen.